Welcome to Stories of Iceland. I am writing these words in a new project management system called Obsidian. This episode was almost late because I had so much fun loading the old scripts into the so-called vault and figuring out how to make cross-references between scripts, which, in the future, might help me keep track of all the topics and stories that I have already covered in earlier episodes. I call this fun, but it might be that I am simply enjoying using the knowledge I gained while studying library and information science. The librarian part of me is happy when I'm doing some tagging and even building a kind of authority index. Enough about that. I have a Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. Please join my supporters there. You might even see some extra content there related to this very episode. Thanks to all my supporters, every one of them, especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. A quick warning, this is a bloody episode. It even includes a rather disturbing scene from the saga, so maybe no kids this time. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 49, The Matter of Atli. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. The custom of hospitality was a major part of Norse society. In Iceland, it was important until recent times. If someone came to your door and asked to stay, you were obliged to let them. If you said no, you had broken a social covenant. In winter especially, this was a matter of life and death. Of course, there were also certain norms to dissuade guests from abusing this or overstaying their welcome. In the year 453, Attila the Hun died. According to a near-contemporary source, he had been celebrating his marriage to a young woman named Ildiko. The details of his death are in some way more gruesome than if he had been slain on the battlefield. He apparently choked to death in bed 
after suffering from a bloody nose. We might say that he drowned in his own blood. I assume that alcohol consumption was a major factor in his inability to survive. For the later tales of Attila, it is important to note that his young wife, Ildiko, was found by his side. I think you might guess how the story morphed. The new bride was supposed to have killed the king on their wedding night. That makes good narrative sense. It is a pleasing story. Attila could not be defeated by his enemies, but a wife whom he had taken from among the people he had vanquished killed him in their wedding bed. The name Ildiko is interesting. The Romans tended to Latinize names from other cultures. It is actually extremely frustrating and confusing. In this case, scholars have worked backwards and found the bride's name was probably a version of Hildur, as in Brynhildur and Grimhildur. In the Lay of the Nibelungs, the wife of Attila is called Grimhild, while the Norse tradition calls her Gudrun. I will reiterate what I've said before. The saga of the Wolfsungs is not history. It does, however, show how elements from real life can live on in folklore, legend, and mythology. The story of Atli, as the Hun is called in Norse sources, lived on for centuries and traveled far. It seems to have made it all the way to the Norse settlements of Greenland. Let me explain. There is an Eric poem called Atlamal, which translates to something like The Matcher of Atli, but it is usually referred to as The Greenlandic Lay of Atli. We know that the compiler of the famous manuscript Codes Regius thought of the poem as being Greenlandic, but how can we know for sure? We examine the text, though I must note that we can never know for certain. Attila the Hun was one of the richest men of his time. He ruled over large swathes of Europe, threatened both Constantinople and Rome. His death occurred in what is now Hungary. Incidentally, if you've never made the connection, that country seems to have taken its name from the Huns. The story of Atlamol takes place in Denmark. Atli seems to be a local chieftain with just a handful of retainers. His domain is called a boo. The same as any farm. The scale of everything is much smaller than even what Icelanders would have been familiar with. Runes play a major part of the poem. This might not seem important when it comes to geography, 
But in Greenland, there are many more runic inscriptions than we would expect considering the sparse population and narrow window of time. When it comes to transportation, characters in the poem go by boats. This was the mode of travel the Norse people of Greenland would have been most familiar with when they had to go between settlements. Lastly, there is a rather realistic description of a polar bear in the poem. If we put all these elements together, they seem to reinforce the claim of Greenlandic origin. The Lay of Atli is one of the sources that the saga of the Volsungs is based upon. And I have come to the last section of this confusing saga, where bravery overcomes wisdom, and the need for vengeance removes any chance of happiness. This last part includes one of the most memorable scenes in any saga. It is disturbing in a way which I feel is typical of folklore and mythology. So maybe this one isn't for the kids. You might notice a brief mention of a son of Högnes named Niflungr in the following tale. It might not be apparent, but if you remember the title, The Lay of the Nibelungs, then you might make the connection to the character Niplungr. The Icelandic name is spelled with an F, while the German has a B instead. Though in Icelandic we often pronounce that F as a B. Niplungr instead of Niflungur. As I said, Niflungur, Niflungur only gets a brief mention in the saga of the Volsungs. So the family, which is called Nibelungs in the German tradition, is named Gjukungar in the Norse. The father of Gunnar, Högni and Guðrún was called Gjuki. So his children were Gunnar Gjukason, Högni Gjukason, and Gudrun Gjukadottir, Gjukungar. Now we can begin the end. We left our cast of heroes after the death of Brynhildur and Sigurdur, the dragon slayer. Now that Sigurdur was dead, Gudrun spent some time lamenting her husband. She went to the forest and roamed, until she reached the halls of the king of Denmark. There she spent seven seasons with the Danish queen. This period lifted her spirits, especially when she heard tales of the exploits of her husband's father, Sigmundur. When the news of her whereabouts reached her family, they decided to go to her. Her brothers, Gunnar and Högni, felt that the best way to communicate their remorse was to give Gudrun a lot of gold and other treasures. Since they were now in possession of most of the treasures from the horde of Fopnir, this wasn't actually such a big deal. Their mother, on the other hand, 
didn't feel guilty at all about orchestrating the events that led to the tragedy. Together, they rode to Denmark in the company of many kings and warriors. When they arrived, Gudrun was not exactly thrilled, but her mother Grimhildur had the perfect solution. A magical potion mixed from all manner of ingredients, including runes and the blood of her dead son. After ingesting this foul drink, Gudrun suddenly overcame her sorrow and anger. That is, until her mother told her that she must marry King Atli, brother of the now-dead Brynhildur. Gudrun tried to argue and pointed out that this would end badly. But Grimhildur did not listen. This enforced marriage was not a happy one though it did produce two sons. There came a time when Atli told his wife Gudrun that he wanted to invite her two brothers, Gunnar and Högni, to feast to show them his riches. She suspected that her king was up to no good and decided to warn her brothers using runes that she attached to a golden ring. Then... She gave that ring to the messenger who Atli was sending with the invitation. But it turned out that the messenger was loyal to his king and twisted the runes so they instead seemed to encourage Gunnar and Högni to trust Atli's intentions. When the messenger came, the brothers argued back and forth. They kept their discussion up a while drinking, and then the messenger told them that they should go, because Atli had grown too old to defend his own kingdom, while his sons were too young. The messenger claimed that Atli's wish was for them to take control until their nephews reached manhood. By this time, Gunnar had become very drunk and determined that they should go. Hakni was still very suspicious, but decided to go with his brother. During the night after, both of the brothers' wives dreamt disturbing dreams that seemed to warn them from going. When morning came, everyone seemed convinced that this whole trip was a bad idea. But Gunnar had decided to go, even if it would cost him his life. So, off they went with a retinue of warriors. When the brothers came to the walls surrounding Atlas Halls, they noticed there seemed to be an awful lot of armed men present there. Even this did not make them reconsider their visit. Instead, Hockney went and broke down the gate. The messenger who had brought them the invitation became angry and told them they should not have done this, and that they should wait there while he fetched the gallows tree, because they would soon be hanged. The brothers felt that this went too far and hacked the man to death with their axes. They then prepared for battle and rode towards the hall. 
King Atli greeted them and told them that they should give him all the gold that once belonged to Sigurdur, because now it belonged rightfully to Guðrún. Which actually seems a fair point. The brothers disagreed, so they fought. When Guðrún heard what was going on, she came out and asked the men if there was any chance that they might settle their differences without violence. They said no and kept fighting. As this went on, it was clear that Gunnar and Högni were better warriors, but Atli had so many more men. Finally, the brothers were the only ones left from their side. Gunnar was captured, but on his own, Hagni killed twenty more men before he was finally subdued. After the brothers had been bound, Atli tried to force them separately to tell him where the treasure was hidden. Gunnar replied that he would sooner see the bloody heart of his brother than tell. So Atli had his men kill a slave and cut out his heart and presented it to Gunnar. Gunnar replied, That is not the heart of the brave Högni, but the heart of a cowardly slave. Notice how it trembles even more now than it did when it was still in his body. In response, Atli had his brother killed, cut out his heart, and presented it to Gunnar. Gunnar replied, That is the heart of my brave brother Högni. Now I am the only one who knows where the treasure is hidden, and I would rather that it was claimed by the river Rhine than for you to have it. Atli now had the bound-up Gunnar thrown into a pit of serpents, so Gudrun did what any woman would do in those circumstances. She gave her brother a harp, which he then played using only his toes, which really impressed everyone. But even his toe-tapping musical performance was not enough to save Gunnar, and in the end one of the serpents killed him by striking at his heart. After this, Gudrun told Atli that she was resigned to her fate. She also told him that now she would hold a funeral for her brothers. And it was a magnificent feast, with much eating and drinking. Afterwards, Atli asked his wife where their sons were. Gudrun replied, You caused me much sorrow by killing my brothers. Now you have lost your sons. Their heads are in these casks. So the wine you drank was mixed with their blood. I also cut out their hearts cooked on a skewer and fed to you. Atli was pretty upset by all this and said that Gudrun should be burned to death. But she replied that her fate would be different, which turned out to be true. Högni had a son called Niblungur, who was determined to kill Atli. He plotted with Gudrun, and one night, when the king had fallen asleep, after drinking too much, they entered his room with a sword. Atli woke up when they struck and asked who had attacked him. Gudrun replied, 
I did some of the damage, but Hagnesson also did his part. Now the couple argued for a bit about whose fault everything was, but in the end Atli simply asked that Guðrún would give him a good funeral, which she promised to do. So Atli died. Guðrún did indeed keep her word, and the funeral was another magnificent affair, which was not surprising considering how much experience Gudrun had in organizing these kinds of events. Then afterwards, she burnt the place to the ground, killing quite a few people. At this point, Gudrun was fed up with life. She filled her arms with rocks and walked into the sea. But she did not die. Instead, Gudrun was carried on the waves to the halls of yet another king whom she quickly married. She had three sons with this king. Her daughter, Svanhildur, whom she had with Sigurdur, grew up at the court. As time went on, Svanhildur's beauty became widely known. A rich king named Jörmunarekur was told of her by an advisor and soon sent this man along with his own son to ask for Svanhildur's hand in marriage. When they arrived, Gudrun was a bit reluctant to accept the offer, but her husband wanted the match, so she relented. As Svanhildur travelled to her would-be husband's court, the advisor began to suggest to the king's son that it was a shame that the old man was getting such a pretty young woman. The son took the hint and successfully seduced Svanhildur. When they arrived at the court, the advisor promptly told the king what had happened. The son was quickly executed. The king, spurred by his advisor, ordered Svanhildur to be trampled to death by horses. This plan ran into some problems since Svanhildur had inherited her father's fierce eyes. So the horses didn't dare come close to her. Then the advisor simply put a bag over her hat and the execution went ahead. When Gudrun heard of her daughter's death, she sent two of her sons to avenge their sister. When they left, she called to Sigurdr to claim her from hell. Thus ended her sorrow. The sons traveled to find the third brother to join them on their journey. When they met him, they asked him what help he would give them. He replied, I will help as a hand helps a hand, and a foot helps a foot. This confused his brothers so much that they killed him. As the brothers went on, one stumbled, but managed to use his hand for balance. I would have fallen if I had not two hands. Soon afterwards, the other brother stumbled, but managed to use his foot to keep his balance. I would have fallen if I had not two feet. Thus they understood what their brother had meant. When they met King Jörmunarekur, 
One brother cut off his hands, and the other cut off his feet. Then one of them said, If our brother still lived, the hat would be off as well. The battle went on, and since Gudrun had given the brothers armor that no metal could pierce, they took no wounds. Then an old man, tall, with a single eye, said, You aren't wise if you can't see a way to kill them. The king replied sarcastically, So tell us how, Mr. Know-it-all. The old man said simply, You should beat them to death using rocks. The king's men decided to try this and threw rocks at the brothers, which killed them. The end. That was a weird tale, full of sound and fury, signifying that you shouldn't pursue vengeance at any cost. That is it for today. Thanks to all my supporters, including Sean Pigeon, Jay Snooston, Wydon Helstare, Emily Cooper, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, and as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. I am Olignesti Solerson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 49, The Matter of Atli. Mm-hmm.